0: Invite you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 26, if you would please. 2 Chronicles 26. We're going to spend the entire study in this text this morning. 2 Chronicles 26. So I don't know if you're, uh, how many baseball fans we got here? All right, at least a, a few decent people, sheep among the goats. Um, baseball season's getting fired up, it's about to start. Here in the next few days, it has started, I think, for the Seattle Mariners and the uh, Oakland Athletics, I think, might have been the team they faced over in Japan. They usually play a couple of early games, some teams do, um, in a foreign country to kind of work on baseball relations and things like that. Uh, A couple of neat stories attached to that for those of you baseball fans with Ichiro and stuff like that. But either way, baseball is getting fired up. i got baseball on the mind. Um, if you are a baseball fan, and maybe even if you're not, you know that in the past few decades, a number of the greats in baseball have been lost to us. And not because necessarily of, of untimely, unfortunate, tragic deaths, such as was the case with Roy Holiday. But rather, we've seen great after great be toppled at the revelation that their greatness came at the, ex- at the expense of uh, performance-enhancing drugs. It was found out that they had been using and abusing stimulants or illegal muscle-building compounds, that those were had been in their system and were the source of some of their otherwise record-worthy success. I think of Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Alex Rodriguez, Roger Clemens, and the list has grown and grown and grown. Um, I imagine just about everybody here remembers I was in high school when the entire country got caught up. In the home run race between Bonds and McGuire and Sosa. And all to find out, it wasn't legitimate. So their careers and and the careers of others have been so marred and their image so tarnished that it's difficult for the average fan to think of guys like these the same again. In many respects, and to differing degrees depending on the individual, they kind of blew it. And a lot of them near the very end of their career. This morning's study is about an Old Testament character whose career suffered the same kind of of tarnish and fall from glory. I want us to look at the story of Uzziah. So 2 Chronicles chapter 26. We're going to read the first verse just to get started. 2 Chronicles 26 verse 1. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. Now right off the bat, that's a fascinating thing. You should know Uzziah's father, Amaziah, didn't just pass away from old age or disease. He was murdered. He had been conspired against, hunted down, and struck down because his wickedness was getting the people slaughtered. And nevertheless, all the people have enough confidence in this 16-year-old boy that the people of Judah take him and practically, unanimously pronounce him to be their king. Now, the point we're driving at has more to do with pride than than what I want to say just now, but sidebar for a moment. Right off the bat, I think this ought to be a pretty poignant lesson to any young person in this audience. To not ever think that since you are young or younger, since we've got a a number of our young people traveling for spring break, so I'm going to go ahead and loop in the 20-somethings, right? Yeah, 20-somethings, early 30s. Close? All right. Well, you're younger than me. So younger or young, such as mine sitting on that back pew there, to never think that God cannot use you in his service. Uzziah is 16 years old when... No, I'm not going to include you guys. I see the look on your face. No, you're right in there with me. You don't get to go in the younger category. Uzziah is 16 years old when God allows him to take over the throne of the entire nation of Judah. 16. So we ought not think that one has to be in their 30s or 40s or even 20s, perhaps, to be useful to God. And for those who are particularly young, I don't want you thinking you have to be 16 to serve your God either. Toddlers and up often make wonderful examples of godliness. But back to the main story, and hopefully less tripping over myself. So Uzziah takes the throne at age 16. Now notice verse 3. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. That is, if you're wondering, the second longest reign of any of the kings of Judah. But try to imagine a 16-year-old taking the throne, ruling over a few million people, and going on to do that for 52 years until he's 68 years old. So one of the first things I would want to know, finding out that they had a king such as that, was, well, how good a job did he do? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um... But before we even continue in our reading, you'd suspect he did a decent job if he's going to reign so long. Must have done pretty well, at least. And as you read further, verses 4 and following, it shows that's the case. So one of the first things that you find out from from reading further, namely into verse 4, is that he is spiritually dependable and dependent as their leader. So the Bible says in verse 4, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. It's the best thing you can say about Uzziah is found right here in this verse. He set himself to seek God. He wanted to be a servant of God. And then if you look there at the end of verse 5, there's, there's another important thing that w- we don't want to pass over. That with Uzziah, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. If you like to underline verses in your Bible, that's a good one. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So the principle of this voice simp- or verse, simply put, is that as long as you seek the Lord, the Lord will give you success. Now, that may require you redefining your view of success. When my life gets out of this world, only what God intended for it to get, be that serving him in in blessing or suffering, as Paul put it, in abundance or abasement, then that's success. So as long as we set ourselves to seek the Lord, as Uzziah did, we will find God-defined success. So Uzziah was was a spiritually dependable leader for many of his years. The people could count on him to lead them in the direction of the Lord. If you're wondering, from a few studies ago, when we talked about uh, Israel and Judah's history and the need to tear down the high places, Uzziah did not. He was not the one who finally tore those down. Hezekiah was. But Uzziah was a good king for most of his days along the way. And it was because Uzziah was dependent on God. And you and I need to be also, of course, and since Uzziah looked to God, I want you to look at what God did for him. Um, in those days, it's still pretty much that way uh, or this way in, in parts of, of our world. Um, a great leader was also a great military conqueror. Uh, we don't really think of that uh, that way in our country because we don't go about a conquering. Um, but we still call our president the commander in chief. He's still the one who's in charge of that sort of thing. And Uzziah becomes a great military conqueror. In verse 6, and this is a remarkable thing to read when you think about how much of a plague the Philistines were for the Israelites all throughout the judges' era and whatnot. In verse 6, he goes to war against the Philistines, the fiercest people of his day. And when he breaks, he breaks down the walls of, of Gath and, and Jabna and Ashdod, he conquers some of their most powerful cities. And while he's at it, he built some of his own cities in Philistia. The Bible will go on to say in verse 8 that even the Ammonites bring him tribute. And that his fame spreads as far as the borders of Egypt. So effectively, the civilized world knew who this man was. And one of the reasons he becomes so powerful and so well-known was because he developed a very strong army and strong defenses. Verse 9 so says Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle and fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns for he had large herds, both in the Shephelah and in the plain. And he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands. And then this phrase is just interesting for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war in divisions according to the numbers in the muster made by Jael, the secretary, and Maaseiah or Seiah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of father's houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600, and under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. So this isn't just a large army. It is a well-trained and well-equipped army. And I think that phrase there at the end is particularly eye-catching. The army could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Verse 14 says, And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging, so they are well-equipped to a man. I remember watching... I don't remember what the movies were but movies about some of the world wars in which I think it was either the the Germans or the Russians at least as it was depicted in the movie that you had a couple of guys that would team up and when the man in front of you fell then you got his gun and then you got to have a gun Um, which is just remarkable to think about having to go into war without a weapon because your country can't provide one for you and you've just got to wait until the next guy dies and then you get a gun Um, Uzziah has a well prepared well supplied army beyond that in verse 15 in jerusalem he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones now i'm not entirely sure what he's talking about there these devices that would shoot arrows and great stones but when you look back in history what typically was the device that shot arrows and great stones was some sort of catapult or ballista now what's interesting about all of this is that historians are, in the, are um, of the opinion that the catapult was first invented by the Greeks around 400 BC but 2nd Chronicles would seem to suggest that the wise men employed by Uzziah did either this or something very much like it Some 400 years before anyone else um, knows that anybody else has done it. I don't know exactly what's going on here. But they've got some pretty powerful devices that seem to be ahead of their time. And as the rest of the verse makes clear, they have these only by the power of God. Verse 15 finishes by saying his fame spread far for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. So Uzziah was a great king. His fame is, is everywhere. One of the things we, we read and, and moved on to, to get at a couple of other things was, was back in verse 10. If you look at it once again, he's also an agricultural and architectural um, giant of a king. He builds these great cisterns, he waters the lands, he produces a tremendous number of crops. His people are as well provided for by God through him as God is providing for him. So I think reading through this set of verses, you can't help but be impressed and think this guy was good. And he was good for a long time. And all because he sought the Lord and God blessed him in return. And he was, without a doubt, one of the the finest kings Judah ever had. And then verse 16 brings you to a new paragraph. And if you've been following the book of, of Chronicles and the track record of, of Israel and Judah's kings, you kind of guessed, I imagine, that this, this, this crux in the story was coming, that this, this joint was on the way. But, and even if you haven't heard the story of Uzziah, you knew it was coming. There always seems to be but for most of the, the good kings. And for Uzziah, it occurs in verse 16. So verse 16. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. So from that point on, the story of Uzziah is no longer about the impressive success of this godly king. It becomes a story about pride. And since it's a story about pride, it's a story that I suspect can be useful to us. I want us to to see the way that pride takes hold of this man and what it does to him when it gets him. I want to briefly go through seven steps in the sin of pride. Seven of them, but we're going to to move pretty quickly. And then three concluding lessons that I want us to be sure to to learn from this story. Three points that you can take home with you uh, once the sermon is done. So step one. Pride, quite logically, begins with accomplishment. And that's whether that accomplishment is perceived or real. And this is the the deal in Uzziah's case. God has led him to all of his success, all of these accomplishments, all of these impressive achievements. Whenever you start to succeed in life and the accolades are coming your way and people begin to take notice of you and praise you for the good that you're doing, it's inevitable that the devil is going to seize that opportunity to make you proud of those blessings, to try to tempt you to be proud of yourself, even though those blessings did not originate with us. And if we allow that pride to take root, it can crumble the success we've sought after. So in your life, you have have asked God to help you. You've worked hard. God has given you that success. Your life has been built up. You can be sure then at that point that the temptation to pride is going to be right there next in line in the progression of events. Step two, then, when pride comes on the heels of success, it can begin to take root and you forget the source of your success. And that, of course, is the key. Pride takes root when you forget where your success comes from. Going back to to verse five, those last few words that I suggested you might underline, as long as he sought the Lord... God made him prosper. That's where prospering comes from. In verse 15, his fame spread far for he was marvelously helped. Not a little helped. Not pulled himself up by his own bootstraps. Marvelously helped. It's God who did these things so that he could become strong. And Uzziah's tragic problem was that when he became strong, He forgot where that strength came from. Which is why verse 16 says, When he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. And as the next verse says, For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, that leads then to step three that when pride comes in, it's going to show itself first in your relationship with your God. So if my heart's being filled up with pride, it's not going to take long for that to manifest itself to my friends, to my employees, to my employer to my family but the first one who's going to notice pride taking up residence in my heart is God himself who little by little is being evicted to make room for it. He's going to sense the changes in me that pride is affecting long before anybody else does. So if it was present and developing when when Uzziah stood before the Ammonites or the Ammonites stood before him rather to to give him to pay him tribute God could tell. As Uzziah uh, as his name was was reaching the borders of Egypt where even the pharaohs are paying attention to what this king is doing. If pride was filling his heart over that recent development. God knew. And then after God sees it coming. My apologies. Comes step four. When pride will cause you to do things that are not right to act in certain ways, speak in certain ways, and everybody else starts to pick up on the problem. So when I become prideful, I forget about the word of God, and I begin to do things that are contrary to it. I begin to do things my way, because it started to be about self. So reading further with verse 16, it says, But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and entered the temple of the Lord, to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, of course, the problem with this is Uzzi- Uzziah is 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 a king. He's not a priest. So that's a responsibility only a priest can undertake. And what effectively has happened is that David has become Saul. And what I mean by that is David was the man after God's own heart. Uzziah set himself to seek God. So someone of that kind of character has now become like someone of the other kind of character, namely Saul, who in his pride also offered sacrifices, dared to do that sort of thing. And then for step five, as it was with Saul, it is with Uzziah that this arrogance then leads to confrontation. I believe it was last week's bulletin that talked about. Saul offering the sacrifices because Samuel didn't get there in, in time, so he went ahead and did things his way. I um, don't know, that's this week's bulletin. Excuse me, I kind of do them like five or six days in advance, so I, I, get, I get off. Um, in verse 16 or 17, you've got a very brave priest that decides to, to stand up for the Lord and dares to confront this mighty king of renown. Verse 17. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. So if pride begins to develop in my heart, then some brave godly person who loves me is gonna eventually confront me about my pride, which then likely can can lead then to, to step six, and that is that when pride's confronted, it gets angry. Proud people don't think anybody has the right and the authority to confront them, because they're above, not others. So when, when pride takes up residence in my heart, I think I have the ability and the right to set the rules. And anybody who comes in here telling me I've got to do otherwise, it, it's, it's frustrating. And Uzziah in verse 19 becomes furious, which then leads to the seventh and final step, and that is the fall. So starting in verse 19, if you want to read along with me, verse 19. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. So after pride has its full effect, there's always going to be a fall. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So if a fall is on its way, you can trust that the haughty spirit is going to get there first. And right behind it's going to be that fall. And the priests, they can't make Uzziah leave the temple. He's too prideful for that. But God certainly can And the same God who has been blessing Uzziah and prospering him because he's looked to the Lord and has exalted him, that same God now brings him low because Uzziah has forgotten his place before his God. So let's finish out the chapter, verse 21. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, wrote, And Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings. For they said, He is a leper. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. That's an interesting text as you read it. I want you to notice two things that are said. First off, they buried him with his fathers. That sounds like the typical sort of thing that would happen when a king passes away. But the rest of it doesn't. In the burial field that belonged to the kings. For they said he is a leper. So something's going on here. It says they buried him with his fathers. Uh, in a burial field that belongs to the king. That's not the places where kings were buried. Kings had tombs within the city of Jerusalem. That's not where they bury Uzziah. As you go throughout the accounts of, of the kings in Chronicles, whenever a king dies who is a good king, especially if he was a was righteous king, they bury him in the tombs of the kings, if not near the, the tombs of David and his sons. If the king is particularly sinful, sometimes they'll still bury him within the city. But on account of his sin, he'll not be buried in the tombs of the king. Uzziah's not even afforded that token. It would seem he's buried outside the city. don't know precisely where this field would be. But it's described differently for Uzziah than it is for any of the other kings who are buried elsewhere uh, than the tombs. Which just leads me to think it's a a different place than even that alternate burying location that that they would provide for kings in other cases. And the reason for that is is stated quite clearly is leprosy. So the disease that's placed on him by the curse of God, that's, that's placed on this man who had been previously so remarkably blessed. 52 years he serves as king and most of that time he is a good man and a great leader. But as he continues to prosper, his pride begins to grow to the point that God strikes him down and he is remembered as the once great king who died a leper. And I'll tell you, I think in, as much as the start of his life is a lesson for young people and the service they can render to their Lord no matter their age, I think the end of his life is, is a lesson for those who are older, That you can spend many of your years faithful to the Lord, and if you're not diligent, be found wanting when the Lord returns. That is, after all, the message of the parables that we've been looking at lately. Disciples making sure that even if the master seems to take until the the third watch of the night, that they're still ready. And the second thing I'll I'll note just about the, the conclusion of Uzziah's life Uh, The final thing about pride is that when your heart is filled with it and your fall comes for you, often enough people remember remember you largely for the pride and the fall that it brings about. They don't remember you for all the good in your life that came prior to that. So what are some lessons that we might take out of this? I want to give you three as we close in addition to some of the ones that we've just pointed out along the way. Lesson one, we ought to realize from Uzziah's life that there is no genuine success possible apart from God. It's God who makes Uzziah to prosper. It's God who marvelously helps him. So if you're enjoying success and blessing in your life, it is from the Father above. And you and I have got to work hard not to forget that. Any achievement you accomplish at work, working hard and putting in the hours and the training and the schooling and the practice and all that kind of stuff, even that you do by the strength your God has given you. So every blessing you and I have, no matter what part we've played in it, ultimately is sourced from the Lord. And to remember that means I've got to stay humble. One of the ways people like to to remind themselves that that they have been helped is by helping others. They call that paying things forward. So if you find yourself blessed, as I have known some of the blessed people in this congregation to do, pay those blessings forward help others and maybe if the case is that you're really struggling with blessings let some of them go better to let them go than to have them pull you down lesson two we ought surely learn from Uzziah that there are a few tests like the test of success which is interesting that when things are great that's when sometimes they're at their most dangerous there seem to be more people who can live faithfully at the bottom than there are who can handle it at the top. You remember what Jesus said about rich men and the kingdom of heaven and camels and the eye of a needle. But if you climb to the top, it's not to say it cannot be done. And I could name examples for you. And I know full well that everyone here could too. If God blesses you with success in your life, the key for us as scripture says is to walk quietly, walk gratefully. And walk humbly with our God. And then lesson three. The God who blesses us is also the God who can undo those blessings. So the same God that gives Uzziah renowned power and influence is the same one who sees him in the temple attempting to write his own rules. And disgusted at the pride that he sees there, he gives Uzziah leprosy and takes that power away in an instant. And we ought to learn from that, that we cannot let pride swell in our hearts to the point we think I'm fine on my own. I can make my own life. I can, I'm going to start going by my own rules, doing my own thing. I've had enough of this. Got a few friends who've made that decision. They've chafed underneath what the Lord requires of them. And they've just decided they've had enough. They're going to make their own way. And usually, I think just about every case with those friends, they're doing all right. Life's going pretty well for them. So they don't see the need anymore to serve the Lord. Not that need ought to motivate us, any, except for our spiritual need for our Father. But as far as things go on this earth, they're doing all right. So they figure they can just carry on on their own after all. And that's not something God has ever tolerated. And he might not strike you down with leprosy as you stand there. But the day will come. So mindful of that fact. Mindful of the fact that the God who blessed us. Can also remove those blessings. And ultimately is going to judge us for the way that we've lived on this earth. I hope very much. If any of us struggles with pride. That we'll humble ourselves before the Lord. Now if, if you're a Christian. Maybe you know that, that pride is, is something that has taken root in your life. Sometimes I find pride is about like that whack-a-mole game, you know, where it pops up and you've got to knock it back down. And, and, and pride works like that. Um, I, I hope, I hope it has not taken root in my life. Um, and I will tell you, we're talking about someone who loves you confronting with that. Let me just say, if you think that it has, please tell me. Why not? Better than I know. But at least as far as I can tell, personally, trying to look at myself, it feels like that whack-a-mole game where it, it pops back up just when I think I've knocked it down and I've got to go deal with it again. I um, forget the name of the preacher. That said, every time I think I've, I've conquered humility, I've got that one licked. I've got to start working all over again because he's gotten prideful in the way that he's conquered humility. Um, now, if you're not a Christian... And then there's a unique way in which you're called to humble yourself before your Lord. You're called to submit your will to his will, your life to him, and obey the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ is king. Now, part of what that means is you and I are not. Now, that's good news because of how much need you and I truly do have. And Jesus Christ is the one who can meet that need. But maybe that doesn't sound automatically like good news because that means I can't live for me anymore. I can't do just what I want to do. I can't go about living my life the way that I would like to. Um, I've got to start living by, by God's instructions. Well, let me point you to, to, the, to the king who's calling you to bend the knee. We're not talking about a king who just just sits up in his throne unaffected by anything whatsoever, expecting all of the the measly ants running around to, to praise him. We're talking about a king who took up his cross, who left heaven, took on human form, emptied himself and served us by dying for us. That's the king that you and I are called to submit to. And it is good news that a king such as that would do what he has done for us. Hopefully that humbles us. Hopefully the, the, the tragic example of Uzziah humbles us as well. So if you're not a Christian, I hope you will bow before his throne and proclaim him to be king in your life as he is king indeed. I hope you'll take up your cross And follow him daily. I hope you will admit. That you have sinned. And you need his forgiveness. And I hope you will be baptized. To make that appeal to him. For a clean conscience. And to have your sins washed away. I hope you will humble yourself. In the sight of the Lord. So that he can lift you up. And if we can help you do that this morning. Please let your need be known. While we stand and sing.